Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our lockdown project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. And welcome to Wise Children's Lockdown Tea and Biscuits. And today I am talking with designer extraordinaire, Les Brotherston. Hi, Les. Hello, Emma. Look at you. <laughs> Don't take a drink of gin at exactly the moment that, I'm, that you're supposed to be speaking. Well, a cup of tea for all the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> you can see it's not. It's G and tea, isn't it? <laughs> it's five o'clock. We're in lockdown. What, what's a boy to do? <laughs> Good question. Um, but first and most important question is, what is your um, literal or virtual biscuit of choice? Well, I'm always partial to a bit of a cheap biscuit. I mean, you can forget these great big cookie, soft dough, malarkey things. Very fond of a custard cream, or if I'm feeling a bit perky, maybe, uh, uh, um, what are they called? A party ring. <laughs> Party ring. I haven't seen a party, party ring. ring. What's the difference between a party ring and a jammy dodger? Uh, a party ring is a very hard baked biscuit with a bit of icing on the top, and a jammy dodger is a sandwich of cream and jam with a hole in the middle. Approximately. I do know my biscuit. I know my biscuit. <laughs> you don't get this big without knowing what a biscuit is. <laughs> and tell me, how's your lockdown going? Where are you? Paint me a picture. Uh, I'm in, I'm at home in Chichester, which I live in, I'm really lucky, I'm really lucky. I live in a barn in Chichester and I've got a big garden and I've got two kind of virtual family friends staying with me. So I'm, I'm not alone. I have got, I have got a really nice place to be. It's really easy to isolate, but dear God, I'm missing theatre. I'm missing being able to, to think and make and create and do stuff. And I just can't wait to get back. Me too. Oh, wouldn't it be great? Right, let's reminisce a bit, because you and I met on the marvellous but ill-fated project, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which... One of my favourite ever. It really was. We all loved it with all our hearts and still do to this day. I just think the problem was... It wasn't so, it wasn't so much that it was a bad show because it was a great show. It was a brilliant show. It was just getting people to want to come and see a show they didn't know. It was, a, it was a it was a I think it really was. I think I think once we got people in there, they loved it. It was just they went, Umbrellas of Cherbourg, what is it? We don't know. And it it just it sort of somehow and we knew quite early on it wasn't gonna catch the imagination of a, of, a, of an audience who wanted to come and see it. Um I wonder if it would if it would you know, with with the work that you've done and that we've done, we've all done, whether it might have a better chance now. But at the time, it was a little bit of an anomaly, wasn't it? Nobody knew what it was, so very few people wanted to invest in coming to see it. I always wondered whether it was just because it went to the West End and didn't last very long at all, whether it was in the wrong place. That, <laughs> Given that it was a sung-through jazz opera, that it might have done better in an opera house, you know, that if you, we'd branded it slightly differently. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think... Or if, or if it had been done at the Roundhouse or somewhere where it could have been a little bit of a gem that was found, that might have been interesting. But, but I think you're right. Putting, 
to Shaftesbury Avenue. It was, <laughs> it was not what anyone was expecting, but it was a show with such heart. Oh, we loved it so much. And I want to take you back to... So we'd only just met. We'd been put together by the producer, Daniel Sparrow, and Les and I met and we liked each other. And I'd I'd watched your work for many years with New Adventures and was quite starstruck to meet you. Um, But we we got on pretty well, didn't we? But it's always quite formal, those first meetings. And it was decided... They're really hard, we're, but we're both trying to look serious and impressive. Two things that neither of <laughs> us are, are we? <laughs> neither. And you're trying really hard to impress and you're kind of going, will you be impressed by this? I'm not sure. I'm not, would I be? I don't think I would. <laughs> but we decided that we would go on a field trip to Cherbourg, just the two of us, <laughs> having not really spent any time together before. And our friendship was formed on that trip, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was... I mean, I I'm not quite sure what I was expecting. I kind of imagined Sherbrooke would be something glamorous and lovely and wonderful and romantic. And, you know, parts of it were a little tiny street of it was. But as Meow said in, in, in the thing, you know, Sherbrooke, how can I describe it to you? Well, it's it's whole, really, isn't it? <laughs> and it really is. <laughs> we couldn't find a decent restaurant. We'd, we'd seen the, the, the tiny, tiny fragment that was lovely. We'd seen that in sort of 15 minutes, hadn't we? And then it was... We just... had. We'd been... <laughs> and we had another day and a half to go. And I, I seem to remember you and I running down the street because we saw some sailors shouting bonjour Matelot, <laughs> thinking it was hysterical, and then looking at us like we were mad people. <laughs> But one thing we had is that for those of you that don't know The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, it's an amazing film um, composed by Michel Legrand. And there's a song in it. Um, I don't even know what it's called. I will wait for you or will you wait for me? And it's <laughs> the most fantastic tune ever. But in truth, it's almost the only true tune in the musical or the opera. It is. And you had it in your head and you kept singing it to me and singing it over and over again until I wanted to kill you. We were like brother and sister by that point. And I was saying, if you sing that to me one more time, I will have to throw you overboard or kill you. And then it got to the point that you'd wound me up so much, like a sibling, that you would tap it out on my hand, on my arm. That's the rhythm of it. And it would send me over the edge. You were so annoying and so funny at the same time. So in honour of the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, Let's listen to a little bit of that tune which we listened to for months.
ne pleure pas, je t'en supplie. Douze ans, non, je ne pourrai pas. Calme-toi, il nous reste si peu de temps. Si peu de temps, mon amour, qu'il ne faut pas le gâcher. Que nous gardions de nos derniers moments un souvenir plus beau que tout, un souvenir qui nous aidera à vivre. J'ai tellement peur quand je suis seule. Nous nous retrouverons et nous serons. I mean, we're laughing now, but, it, but it's heartbreaking in the show, isn't it? It's really heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. I still love it completely. Uh, can I say Simon's delighted because he just played that on a, a real genuine vintage seven inch single that he's got of that. So um, our friendship was formed on that show. And I do remember <laughs> that we decided that if we won an Olivier Award, which can yeah. I say that at this moment we both knew was not going to happen. <laughs> Simon's giggling in the background that we would have Bonjour Matelot tattooed onto our bottoms we did we promised that and do you know what one day we should do it <laughs> when I think it'd be 70, funny let's do it but at the moment <laughs> our bottoms are, are clean <laughs> so we carried on um, as friends and as colleagues and it was a very um happy time when I managed to get you down to work with Nihai and you came down and worked on 946 with us. I did. And I was a bit, no, do you know what? I wasn't concerned, but there was a bit of concern because you're such a sort of highfalutin top designer that you might find working in a field with a portaloo a bit of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> it worked brilliantly, didn't it? Because I think you should tell us a bit about I, Henry I, I... and Nihai. I had a ball and I've got a dog called Henry and I was, um, you know, the dog is both a blessing and a curse in that I now have to have to arrange any jobs I do around whether I'm allowed to have Henry or whether I'm not allowed to have Henry. And, and luckily with Nihai and with the Barnes and with the Lost Gardens of Heligan, I was allowed to have Henry. Um, and it was quite nice because Henry sort of became the company dog. He did. And very, very often you'd find people like Katie or you'd find somebody else kind of curled up having a cuddle with Henry on a bunk somewhere. And it was, and it was quite nice to have, have that kind of 
domestic kind of life going on at the barns, which are quite magical. They're really kind of a fun place to be. And I didn't think they would. And, I, and it was quite funny that, that I, you know, when I turned up and I was put, I was put in the posh shed, remember? I was put in the, 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 the little shed with the barn. It's the chalet. <laughs> <laughs> but I was terrified because I'd never really slept in a field before. And um, I know some of the other people who were there were doing things like miming Mad Hatchetman outside my window. Because I said, what do I do when I need to get up in the night for a wee? And they said, you have to get up, go over that thing, climb over the fence, go along. I was thinking, oh God, this is just a nightmare. But it was so, so much fun. It was it was a it was a whole new way of working for me, which which I really appreciated and I really learned to love. And I loved having you there. I loved how funny you were. That's why we like to tease you with the mad axeman coming to get you. But like you say, <laughs> having a company dog made you know it's the perfect place to do it. And my well, it favorite... did, and when... go on. No, you go on. Well, I was going to say my favourite memory of Henry was when we were doing nine four six. It was this beautiful set, like a big <laughs> exploding shed with two levels. Top level where the band played, which had two tiny ladders going up to it, and we were all getting the, the getting ready for tech and very busy and somebody looked round and Henry had managed to go up the ladder and was on the top mm-hmm. deck but being quite a large and can I say dim dog <laughs> he is a little bit dim isn't he in a really lovely way couldn't he get is, down he is dim he couldn't get, he didn't know how to I mean you all I mean I was up there I, he was followed and bless him he'd followed me up because I'd gone up there to look at what it was like to be on the top level <laughs> and you all sat in the auditorium and watched this dog climb a vertical ladder <laughs> and then when he got up 20 foot up in the air then all went well how's he going to get down because <laughs> he can't go face down so we had to go and get the cherry picker from across the field and it had to drive into the thing and cherry pick Henry off the top of the set and bring him down to the ground. <laughs> but I was just, I remember standing there holding onto his collar thinking, you've all just stood and watched him do this. <laughs> I've never owned a dog. I didn't know that dogs could go upstairs but not downstairs. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> it was a vertical ladder. <laughs> I mean, all points for him for being able to get up a vertical ladder. Oh, well, I agree. Tell us about your first choice of music and why you chose it. Well, I, when, when you asked me to do this, I was quite interested to think about what music I'd choose. Now, what I wanted to choose was was music that linked linked us and, and why. And I remember on Umbrella Cherbourg, it was the first time we'd worked with Meow Meow. Um, and the, the whole idea of Miami Meow, the way you presented it to me, terrified me because you told me there was this performer who had an alter ego and we would know if she was her alter ego, which is Meow Meow, if she turned up to rehearsal wearing the wig. But if she wasn't wearing the wig, she was Melissa, the actress. And so I was in a state of nervous, nervous excitement and thinking, oh God, how do I deal with this? And what, 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 what can I do? Um, and then worked with her and learned to love her and then went to see her do do her cabaret and we became friends and it was it was all lovely now forgive me this is a long story so cut back to when i was 17 or 18 and i was in an all boys school grammar school in in liverpool um and in in the sixth form the the boys school and the girls school amalgamated and and all my friends being a gay man all my friends were were women they were they were girls Apart from one boy who was in 
who was in every class I was in. And he was, he was the basketball player. He was the coolest kid in school. He had a band. And we became, for about three years, we became best friends, really, really good and close friends. He went off to, to art school in Liverpool. I went to art school in London. And then he became someone, a, a, a group. He was, his name was Colin Vernecombe and his band was a, was a band called Black. And in the 80s, he had about two or three big hits. And one of them was, was this song that we're going to play. Um, cut to a few years ago, and Colin, who has been making records ever since, tragically got killed in a, in a, in a car crash in Ireland. And shortly after that, I went to see Meow Meow in a show of hers called Mermaid. And the very, very first song that, that she sings is Colin's song. And to hear Colin's words and Colin's music come out of a very, very close and loved friend who I was in love with, who I adored, who I wanted to be. And hearing those words come out of Meow's mouth, who was another friend who I adored, was really, really poignant. Here I go, out to sea again The sunshine fills my hair And dreams hang in the air Guards in the sky And in my blue eyes You know it feels unfair there's magic everywhere Look at me standing Here on my own again Up straight in the sunshine No need to run and hide It's over Wonderful life No need to laugh And cry It's a wonderful Wonderful life And I need a friend I need a friend to make me happy Not stand here all alone Look at me standing Here on my own again Up straight in the sunshine
the amazing sounds of our friend Meow Meow with Wonderful Life. What a brilliant, brilliant. choice. Wonderful. She takes a, 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 an 80s pop song and turns it into a piece of musical theatre. It's amazing. Oh, thank you for choosing that. Oh, it's, it's, it's lovely. It's, it's weird the way these things happen, isn't it? That, you know, I knew Colin when he, when he wrote the music, when he did it, and then 30 years later, there's, there's a colleague singing it. That's it's amazing. What, it's, it's one of the things that I found amazing about this lockdown and these conversations is what a web we are, these human beings that have met each other and influenced mm. each other's and how we come in and out of each other's lives. But nobody's alone, are they? I mean, none of this... No. This distancing, it doesn't exist for us. There's no distance. There's just connections and the way that we all influence and change each other as we go past. It's so precious. <laughs> it is. Um, so we went on. I went to the Globe. <laughs> you did. I did. It's, it's as if I go from disaster to disaster, isn't it? No, 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 no. It, no, it wasn't a disaster. I mean, I think we did two shows together at the Globe and I had a ball. The Globe was nowhere I ever wanted to work. You know, I have to say, I've been offered shows at the Globe before before you, you took over and I turned them down. I didn't want to work in what I perceived as... At the time, I thought it was a bit of a museum piece, it was a bit of heritage theatre, and I didn't want to do it. And then you took over the globe, and you did your amazing, your amazing Midsummer Night's Dream. And I suddenly saw how somebody could use that space and own that space and really play that space. And you understood it better than any other director I've seen work in that space. You really did. Well, thank you. I mean, I, as you know, you, I loved, I loved it for all of the drama. I loved it, and we loved it, didn't we? You did something really interesting in our production of Twelfth Night, which I think was really sort of cracked the space. You did two walkways out into the, um, into the mosh pit, the, <laughs> and it meant that my two twins could come out as if it was as if the, the audience, the standing audience was the sea and people could almost yeah. go out over um, diving boards to stand over these sea of people and you always <laughs> almost imagine that they could dive onto them and I thought that was so clever because you managed to propel the actors right into the heart of the action but without building something really heavy. You also did an amazing bit of engineering which was a bridge <laughs> that went up and down. Would you like to talk yeah. about how interested I am in um, engineering, structural engineering? Uh, not at all, really. I, I kind of decided early on that this this piece of engineering would have its have its limitations because it was just a bridge that was that could be a bridge that you could stand on, or it could it could fall down, and it could be a staircase that you could walk on. And I really, really thought you needed to understand <laughs> how and how this could be used and the limits of what it could do. And so we called a meeting with you and me and the production manager and the people who were going to build it and the engineers. And we sat down in order to talk to you about what could happen. And I think your attention span lasted less than 10 and a half seconds <laughs> as you were distracted by a brightly colored handbag. And I could see you as we tried to tell you what this thing could do and what it couldn't do. Your interest absolutely went out of the window. <laughs> which again made me howl with laughter. I mean, we have had moments when when the absurdity of what we do, and it's mad what we do, 
make make me tease you and make you tease me and we just sit there howling at each other and the fact you can make me weep with laughter <laughs> is probably one of the reasons why we're still mates <laughs> <laughs> and i am sorry but i do find it hard you, to get excited lasted for a few seconds i mean literally you sat there and you have you had your your school mistress look on and you went yes okay tell me about the bridge <laughs> Oh, look, a handbag. (laughs) (laughs) I can't help it. A bit of me thinks, oh, just make me a bridge and I'll use it. But anyway, forgive me. (laughs) I know, I do. And I love you for it. And I'm very happy. I still make you laugh, even though I'm so annoying. (laughs) I loved that show. I absolutely loved Twelfth Night. And we're going to enjoy a little piece of it in a minute. But first of all, tell me about your second choice and why you've chosen it. Oh, my second choice. Um, well, actually, it was going to be my third choice, but I'll tell you about it now. One of the things I, one of the things I really enjoy, the one of the things that makes me want to work with people is when they do make me laugh. You make me laugh. Matthew Bourne makes me laugh. Etta Murphy makes me laugh. I mean, the the the, the, the you know the the, the the list of people make me laugh as well. But and I've been really really lucky in that I've been doing a lot of theatre and I've been doing a lot of um, other stuff as well. And for a while, I used to do comedy. I used to do comedy. And and at one point, for about 10 years, I did the two shows for French and Saunders. I designed their live shows for them. And for me, it's like I died and gone to comedy heaven. I literally was invited by Dawn to design, design Dawn and Jen's show. And I went to their house, or I went to Jennifer's house in Richmond, where she lived then and went into a room, very, very nervous, and I met French and Saunders, and we were going to do this show together, and I rather naively said, is there a script? As Dawn says, Dawn glares at Jennifer, going, not yet. You know, and Jennifer disappears to the slim fast cans in the corner in the OK magazines. And then Dawn said, but what will happen is, and then she started doing it, and then Jennifer started answering her. And I suddenly realised that my comedy heroes were in a room with just me and they were doing their show form just for me. Cut to when, when we then did the show, uh, Dawn and Jen, they've had this tape and it was a terrible old cassette tape which they played at every venue they ever played at from the early days right through to the, the last days. And I did more shows with them. I did another show with them. That was their farewell tour. And it was always the, the tape that the audience came in to listen to. And on this tape, there was the politically incorrect and hysterically funny Kinky Boots by, by Patrick McNeon on a Blackman. And every time I hear that song, I'm back standing at the back of an auditorium waiting for French and Saunders to come on and make me wet myself with laughter. Everybody's going for the Kinky Boots, Kinky Boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrow from the roots. Borrow from the boots. Kinky boots, fashion magazines say wear them. And you rush to obey like the women in the harem. Full length, half length, fully fashioned calf length. Brown boots, black boots, patent leather jack boots. Low boots, high boots, lovely lanky thigh boots. We all fix those boots. Everybody's crazy for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots And whether you're in evening dress or bathing suit You wear boots, 
and women wearing kinky boots, kinky boots. Puss in boots, footwear manufacturers are gathering the fruits. Gathering the fruits. Kinky boots, advertising men say try them. And you all run amok like a flock of sheep to buy them. Sweet girl, sweet girl. Frumpy little beat girl. Square girl, cool girl. Sexy little school girl. Maiden, auntie. Maker, debutante. They all did those boots. Everybody's rushing for those Russian boots. Russian boots. Kinky boots, cover up the center, little tender boots. With, With kinky, slinky, leather is so kinky. Come and get those kinky. Lovely lanky thigh boots. There's a lyric. Oh, well, it gets worse. I mean, the lyrics are, are so politically incorrect, <laughs> but it just puts me in it's music does this all the time, doesn't it? It puts you in the moment. You, I remember where I was. I was at the back of. I was at the back of um, the Lyric Hammersmith or I was on tour in Manchester with them or I was in Australia with them or I was wherever I was and they dragged me around the world with them, bless them. They didn't need me, but it was just a treat. And it was, I remember one of my favourite memories was on the very, very, their farewell show at Drury Lane. I was in the wing watching the farewell performance of, of French and Saunders on stage absolutely in the wrong place in Dawn's eyeline, which she never lets me forget, <laughs> as she's trying to, you know, rather tearfully say goodbye to this, this this relationship. But it was just the most wonderful thing to be involved in. I was really lucky. I'm very jealous. They're my heroes. Oh, well, they love you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big old love first. So we've carried on. We then went on. We made a show for the Wanamaker Playhouse, Romantics Anonymous. Oh, we did. Oh, oh my goodness. That was magic. Um, that was, I'd already was. been um, ousted, shall we say, by that point for my use of sound and lighting in the globe. And what was the main element of the set you designed? Neon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lights. It was about, I mean, the whole point was, was that, you know, we were in a, in a dark space and it, it was it was not a candle lit show was it it was not a it was not a story that could be told in candle lit and so we came up with signs that lit up that told us where we were and where we were going to go but it was it was such a joy to work on and it was such a poignant thing to work on given that you know it had it had not been a happy time and we were all angry on your behalf or i was exceptionally angry on your behalf because you're my mate and I can say what I want about you, but no one else can attack you or I'll kill them. <laughs> um, and and it, we were making this really heartfelt and beautiful little jewel of a show in what felt like quite a hostile environment, but it was it was made despite all that. And, 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 and it was a piece of love, which was great. And it was also, it was, it, we, we managed to defy the, the narrative and, and really find all the joy and all the pleasure. Um, but we also, I feel, used everything that we'd learned from that, those Umbrellas of Cherbourg days. It was another French mm-hmm. show, um, but we were older, better, we knew each other better. I feel that lots of things came into place with this show that, that maybe mm-hmm. weren't there years earlier. And I just, it was so special. It created so much joy. But I think your design was so clever because whilst I'm sort of teasing you about putting neon into the space, putting neon neon next to candlelight was so special. And really, mm-hmm. I thought, did 
what I will forever be proud of, which is putting the modern world next to the old world, which I thought was truly what original practice meant to me. And it was absolutely stunning as a show. It took your breath away. And it was what I wanted. I wanted to leave with love and beauty. And you really helped me do that. So your last choice... Oh, your last choice is a song from the show. Tell me why you chose this one. Um, do you know what? In theatre, like I talked about having to, I, I love to laugh, but equally, I'm I'm a, a real baby. I'll cry at the drop of a hat. I re, I re, if a scene change goes well, or a costume quick change goes well, it can set me off blobbing. But, and, and well, what I love watching is well-crafted things. And there is, it's quite cynical, but you know, there is this thing about an 11 o'clock number in, in a show, where, which, which is the point in the drama when you, you're getting towards the end of a show and, and characters emote straight to the audience. Um, and this was, I think, a perfectly crafted 11 o'clock number that every night would make me cry. Where to begin? Let's see. I'm somewhat reserved. I can't tell you why. You say emotif. Well, I'm shy. I'm not good with words. I'm just not equipped. Perhaps I'm afraid. And so I stay tight-lipped. But I could be something to see If she loved me In matters of love I'm sure you all know Well, I'm burning up I can't let it show This woman I found So gifted and smart And I want to try To open up my heart Oh, what a romantic I'd be If she loved me I'm not a man who women feel secure about I'm not intuitive or clever But if there's one thing that I'm sure about It's that we could make chocolate forever And so, Angelique, if I may reveal For you, I will try To face these things I feel Yes What a romantic I'll be If you love me If She Loved Me, sung by Mark Antolin, music by Chris Dimond and lyrics. No, the other way round. I'm going to do that again. If She Loved Me, sung by Mark Antolin, music by Michael Kuhlman and lyrics by Chris Diamond. Beautiful. It's a Um, lovely song. Oh, it's so beautiful, isn't it? And so restrained, you know, it's so... Mm. um, It's a really simple melody and it really 
it really does what you want a number to do at that moment in the show and it, it absolutely gives us the character and gives us the, the emotion of the moment. We've had another adventure since then. We've done Mallory Towers. Oh, we have. I know. Oh, what's happening? <laughs> Just so I could see Les's face. Oh, I see. You've got a big sound thing in front of your face and I wanted to see you. Oh. <laughs> there you are. He's back. He's back. So, yeah, we did um, Mallory Towers. I mean, we've had so many ridiculous... That's when our profession is ludicrous, isn't it? We've gone from 1960s um, girls losing their virginity through to 1940s girls who will hold on to theirs forever. <laughs> um, but we had such a laugh, didn't we, um, on Mallory we Towers. We did. And again, I we think did. your humour came through and the fact that you're so good at humour, but always with truth and with kindness. Um, and you also did what I always want you to do because you're so bloody cool, is I really didn't want Mallory Towers to feel like a a nostalgic night out where where it was sort of like an old-fashioned world that we that we yearned for i wanted it to feel modern and like it had something new to say and i said to you i want you to embrace technology and do something unusual and you really did you delivered a set that nobody would have expected that was really smart but tell me about those decisions and how you came to them well it was easy i mean you came to me and you said you you thought it should be a a white room and and you know, and and we talked about Simon doing projections and, and or people doing projections and coming up with material to project onto it um and then we talked about where it might happen and finally it, it was it was going to happen at the passenger shed in, in bristol and when i walked into the into into the into the place and we were looking at it together we kind of noticed that it did sort of feel a little bit boarding schooly and so, I, and, and we knew what the limitations of the set had to be. It had to be a standalone, excuse me, had to be a standalone set in the middle of a, in the middle of the room. It couldn't really be a copy of a proscenium theatre thing. So, you know, I came up with something that just mimicked the shape of the passenger shed, and tried to make it as flat as three D as possible, but flat enough for Simon to come up with his brilliant projections. And so that when we projected onto it, they wouldn't distort, and they would, and they wouldn't. And it was it was a really easy it was an easy design it was an easy you were very the script is very clear you were very clear about what you wanted to achieve Simon Simon's input in, into projections was 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 there you know we knew what he, what we wanted it to do um, and then of course that glorious cast got involved and those characters you know because bless them they only had school uniforms really to work with in the nineties and so so there was no, I was giving them nothing in terms of character to work with. But those brilliant performers getting together with Fran and everybody, just just making it happen in front of us, it was a delight. Oh, it really was. And it was another crazy, it was a little bit like our knee-high days because we built the auditorium as well, didn't we? And Henry was there. So, and Henry was, the was there. And it was. And we were baking in a tin shed <laughs> in a heat wave. And also I had real problems because the seagulls decided they hated me and Henry and would dive bomb us every day walking in. They would try and kill us. And then they would crap on us trying to, trying to get in the front door. And, and no one so believed true. it. I'd, I'd come I in did. going, the seagulls had to it's the bald head. I'm really sorry. They don't. They don't like bald heads. <laughs> I told you to wear a hat because then it would put them off. <laughs> um, but you were walking in with your arms out because somebody told you that if your arms were out, it's they would big. be more scared. <laughs> I think they just lied to make me look silly. But I mean, those seagulls were trying to kill me. They really wanted me dead. 
Oh, well, I and they did. I That is true. I can't even argue with that. It was really <coughs> personal and really specific. They weren't dive bombing anybody else, just you. And I couldn't get in. If I went the back way, the seagulls on the back would get me. If I went the front way, the seagulls on the front would get me. There was no escape. It was just <laughs> a, a mad dash to get into the front door. Oh, well, listen, before I play you out, can I say thank you very much for having tea and biscuits with me? Um, Anytime. And it's lovely to see you, firstly. It's nice to see you too. But thank you. Can I just take a moment to thank you for the amazing um, qualities and joys you've brought to my life, your passion, your amazing vision, your generosity, your extravagance, your fierce loyalty. (laughs) And yes, it is fierce and a little bit frightening at times, but thankfully you've always been on my side and your brilliant friendship. I treasure you so highly, Les Brotherston. Oh, that's kind. I'm thrilled that you've included me in your journey, your theatrical journey, because it's taught me a whole other side of what I can do. I'm going to play you out, dear friend, with an archive recording of the curtain call for um, Twelfth Night, which is We Are Family. And what I love about it is feeling the energy from the company. It's the opposite of shiny. It's so rough. It's so full of love and life. And you can hear (laughs) the audience cheering. But also, that's what I feel about you. We are family. If you have a memory or connection you'd like to share on Tea and Biscuits, leave us a message on our phone line 0117 318 3846. That's 0117 318 3846. Keep checking our social media for details of our next show. Tea and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye. <laughs>